This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Good day, everyone. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we present interviews with professionals from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. By the way, our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com. But we're also on almost every podcast platform, as well as Odyssey and YouTube. So wherever you listen to the program, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, follow, and subscribe. At Preservation Oaks, we give people a better understanding of these organizations, how they're sponsored, how each is unique to the communities they serve, what programs and events they currently have underway, and what services they offer to the public and to their members. This information is vital for people to know about the work the organization is doing and how important it is to join, support, volunteer with, and donate to one or more of these societies. Remember that all of your donations to these societies are tax-deductible. Each guest organization on Preservation Oaks brings with them a truly unique perspective around how they tell the story of their organization, their communities, how they continue to be relevant for the times in which we live, and what kinds of exhibits and volunteer opportunities they've created. This makes listening to each episode of the program interesting, entertaining, and diverse. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program, or if you have questions or comments about the program, just spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. This is our Independence Day episode. The first Independence Day in this country was celebrated in 1777. So happy 245th Independence Day, 4th of July celebration, everybody. Our curated historical and genealogical facts for this episode. It was in July that the rabies vaccine was first successfully given to a patient. The French microbiologist Louis Pasteur administered the vaccine to a nine-year-old called Joseph Meister on July 6, 1885. The child had been bitten by a rabid dog, and Louis Pasteur, unsure whether the vaccine would be successful, decided it was worth testing. Fortunately for the boy, it worked. 
July was an important time for the space race of the 1960s. The first crewed mission to the moon, the Apollo 11 mission, launched on July 16, 1969. Four days later, on July 20, 1969, Neil Armstrong made history by taking the first step on the moon while declaring, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Our modern July 4th festivities would look familiar to John Adams, who called for people to celebrate the day with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. The 4th of July was celebrated annually throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, and in 1870, Congress declared the day a federal holiday. But it wasn't until 1941 that the date became a paid federal holiday for federal employees. Here's a couple of quotes. In all of us, there's a hunger, marrow deep, to know our heritage, to know who we are and where we came from. Without this enriching knowledge, there is a hollow yearning. No matter what our attainments in life, there is still a vacuum, an emptiness and the most disquieting loneliness. That was from Alex Haley, an American writer. When a society or a civilization perishes, one condition can always be found. They forgot where they came from. That was from Carl Sandburg, an American poet. You can email us anytime at preservationoaks at gmail.com. Preservation Oaks is available for listeners on nearly all podcast and social media platforms, including Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we'll be meeting with the Mennonite Heritage and Agriculture Museum located in Gossel, Kansas. The museum is about to celebrate their annual Threshing Days celebration on August 5th through the 7th. They have a parade and all museum buildings are open. The celebration is undertaken jointly with the 100-member Engine and Threshing Club. The Mennonite Heritage and Agriculture Museum tells the story of a group of low German-speaking Mennonites who emigrated from Russia in 1874 and settled near present-day Gossel, Kansas. The agricultural part of the museum features artifacts in the Turkey Red Wheat Palace that relate to the progression of mechanization in farming from the 1800s to the mid-1960s. That's going to be great, learning more about this organization. For this episode, we enthusiastically greet Mr. Paul Hackbarth, the outgoing president and now the marketing and communication director of the Iowa Falls Historical Society, located in Iowa Falls, Iowa. If you're a resident in the local area, this episode will help you understand what the society has to offer, how you can participate and take advantage of the worthwhile events the society sponsors, and how to best support them by volunteering and donating. Here's a brief biography of our guest. Mr. Paul Hackbarth is a member of the Iowa Falls Historical Society a nonprofit organization that was created in 1990 to preserve and share the local history of the community by caring for historical facilities, collecting artifacts, and telling the stories of the people who lived in Iowa Falls. Paul has served the organization as president, as vice president, as a member of the board of directors, and most recently 
as the new Marketing and Communications Director. Hall is a native of Iowa Falls and was raised on a local farm. He attended Iowa Falls schools and graduated from Iowa Falls High School. He's also a graduate of Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa, where he studied agricultural education and instructional media. Paul holds a Master's of Science degree in Agricultural Education from ISU, and he also attended the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Paul is retired after a 31-year career with Fairway Meat and Grocery Stores. Welcome to the program, Paul. Thank you, Sean. Hey, Paul, can you tell us the history of the town of Iowa Falls? Sure. Iowa Falls is a community in north-central Iowa. It's on a bend on the Iowa River, which is a main river of the state. The Iowa River is a tributary to the Mississippi. It flows southeast to the Mississippi. And Iowa became a state in 1846, for your listeners who aren't up on the history of Iowa. But it wasn't really homesteaded until the 1850s. And that's when the first settlers came to the Iowa Falls area. Iowa Falls was settled by members of the Friends Church, which is commonly called the Quakers. A man named Benjamin Talbot came to the Iowa Falls area in the winter of 1851, when the area was a complete wilderness, and his nearest neighbors were 10 miles away. And he built a cabin here on the river, and he spent that winter in the cabin with his son. And the following spring, they decided they would like to have a town in this area. They thought it was a good location. And they had plans for a town, and they wanted to call it Rock Sylvania. Oh, wow. And the town never got to the incorporation stage. And there was some resistance to the term Rock Sylvania, which was going to be on the east side of the present location of our town. The people that lived in the central part of where our town now is, for some reason, didn't like that term. And they wanted to call the town Iowa Falls after some shallow falls that were on the river that are no longer there today. And to make a long story short, the Iowa Falls term and the people in the central part of town won out. So it became Iowa Falls. And after some debate, they incorporated the town in 1856. And that's when it became Iowa Falls. Wow. And the Quakers continued to live in the area, but about 1934, the church ceased to operate here, and most of the remaining members of the Friends Church migrated to other areas, including the Honey Creek area in southern Hardin County, near the town of New Providence. Thank you for that information. Do you think there were riverboats on the Iowa River there at Iowa Falls? There were never riverboats as such because it wasn't deep enough. The river now was dammed with a small hydroelectric dam in 1926. So now there's kind of an impoundment where the water backs up about a mile to the west through town. So now we have the Scenic City Empress ferry boat that runs on the river, but it was never deep enough for uh, steamboats to operate. Okay. Why was the city called the Scenic City? Well, the area of the river that the central part of town is located on has got very high, beautiful bluffs, or what we call palisades, limestone palisades that tower above the river. And although nowadays the modern construction and the brush and things that have grown up 
And uh, some of the other things that we've done along the river have kind of obscured that view a little bit. The town is still very beautiful with those bluffs and the, the original view back when the first settlers came here, it must have been absolutely stunning, Sean, to, to see that. See that come out of the wilderness like that. Now, are you saying because of this dam that was built in the 1920s that boat traffic can no longer go up and down the Iowa well, River? The river itself was never deep enough to have enough draft for a large, larger steamboat. Oh, okay. So there was that type of traffic. But once they built the power dam on the east side of town and back the river up through town, now it's deep enough for, you know, small boats and motor boats and things like that, in addition to canoes and kayaks. Does the river flood every year? Uh, not every year, but it does flood in the spring. And occasionally in the spring, oh, two or three times in the last 100 years, we've had what they call ice dam. Yeah. So we, we get that once in a while. Do any of the historical society's properties get, or, or are they at risk of being impacted by flooding? Our, our property is not, no. It's all on, all on high ground, Thank well away from the river. Now, I expect the history of Iowa Falls and the history of Hardin County, which is where Iowa Falls is, are very much intertwined. What can you tell us about that? Iowa Falls is actually on the very north edge of Hardin County. Most of Hardin County lies to the south. Hardin County has about a population of around 16,000 people. Iowa Falls has 5,100, and those populations have been pretty steady in the last 75 years. As a matter of fact, the population of Hardin County is about the same as it was 150 years ago in 1870. Originally, Iowa Falls was about the second community in uh, the county. The original first community in the county was Hardin City, which is in the southeast part of the county. And Hardin City at one time was a thriving little town. It had Main Street and stores, a post office, and so forth. It was on a bend in the river, and the railroad missed Hardin City. Oh. So instead of becoming the county seat, Hardin City became an extinct community. And Eldora is now the county seat. Iowa Falls never became the county seat. But Hardin City itself has disappeared completely. And if you drive through that area today, you'd have no idea that there was ever a thriving little town there. Wow. So the county seat is in Eldora? That's right. Eldora, Iowa, in the south central part of the county. How far away is that from Iowa Falls? Approximately 20 miles to the south. Okay. You can get there fairly quickly. Fairly quickly, yes. I was pleasantly surprised by how many places are listed on the National Register of Historic Places for Hardin County. There's like 15 or 20 different places registered. Does the Historical Society help to preserve or care for any of those locations? Yes, we do. There are quite a few. The Historical Society in Iowa Falls has a lifetime lease on two of these pieces of property. We have something like a 99-year lease on the Mills Tower, which is the last remaining electric interlocking control tower in the state of Iowa. It's no longer active, of course. It hasn't been active since 93, but it's maintained as a museum by us. We also have the Illinois Central Depot here in town, which was built in 1904, and we're responsible for maintaining that as well. Okay. The Mills Tower 
is uh, maintained as a museum, as is the Illinois Central Depot. There's also a a caboose, a vintage caboose at the Mills Tower. And both of these facilities have modern furnaces and air conditioning. They've got internet as well. So we have displays of artifacts at, at each of these locations. Very nice. Does the Historical Society have any activities related to the historic downtown district? Not in the actual downtown district. We have the Dow House, which is our third historic property, but that's not directly in the downtown area. We participate with the downtown district whenever they have certain activities. We help with their walking tours that they conduct. They've got various maps of different walking tours through downtown area, and we are happy to escort those when asked. Okay, cool. Do you have a record of the buildings, the history of those buildings that are in the downtown district? Yes, we do. One thing that a lot of people aren't aware of is that in 1874, the entire existing downtown district of Iowa Falls was destroyed in a fire. Oh. If you were to look at a Google map today, it's the entire area between the river and Estes Street on the north and between Highway 65 on the east and Main Street on the west. What few buildings were west of Main Street survived the fire, but the rest of the downtown was completely destroyed. And that's why the buildings just west of Main Street on the north side of the street are the oldest buildings in the business district because they survived that fire in 1874. Does anybody know what caused the fire? Yes. (laughs) Just south of Washington Avenue. Washington Avenue is the main street east and west through Iowa Falls downtown business district. And just south of Washington Avenue, there was a butcher shop and they supposedly were boiling lard or something in a large cauldron in back of the store. And some of the grease came out of the cauldron and spilled into the fire. And it was a windy day and it took the fire and the fire worked its way to the northeast. And that's what started the fire. Oh, wow. Your typical grease fire. That's what it was. It was a typical (laughs) grease fire on a massive scale. Well, that's too bad. So how long did it take to rebuild the town? The town was rebuilt rather quickly. At at the time, it was something like $138,000 of damage, which maybe doesn't sound like much today, but on today's scale, that would be in the millions. Right. But a lot of buildings were wood frame and so forth, and, and they rebuilt the town within within 10 years. They were they were going good and strong again. Fantastic. Well, they had the railroad coming through, right? So that helped. Iowa Falls is intertwined with the railroad, and that made a big, big difference. There was money in the community. Right. We still have two railroads that come through town, but we no longer have passenger traffic and so forth. So it's not on the scale anywhere near it was back in those days when they would have 60 trains a day coming through town. Oh, wow. Where does one have to go from Iowa Falls in order to go to a train station to catch passenger service? The nearest passenger service, I believe, would probably be Osceola. That's where Amtrak goes through. Okay. Paul, can you please provide the audience with an overview of the history of the historical society, the diversity of your membership in the mission and objectives of your society? Sure. The Iowa Falls Historical Society, Sean, is a nonprofit corporation. It was formed in 1990. And how it all got started was in 1989, the Scenic City Questers put on a display of photographs that were taken by a famous citizen of ours here, Frank Foster. 
who was descended from some of the original founders of the town. And he was a very good photographer. And he took some very high quality photographs at the turn of the century of everyday life in Iowa Falls. And the photographs were of great interest to everyone. And as a result of those photographs, people began to realize that, that Iowa Falls had an interesting history. And in 1990, the Historical Society was founded. That's when the Articles of Incorporation and the bylaws were created. The membership varies, oh, probably anywhere between 50 to 75 members in any given year who have paid their dues. They're led by a 12-member board of directors, which handles the day-to-day -day affairs of the society and the officers of the board of directors. And the membership is open to everyone of all ages, of all races, creeds, and colors. We're happy to have everyone. We like all the members we can get. The only requirement is you have to be interested in history. Our mission is to preserve local historical facilities and artifacts and to use the media and existing technology to share the stories of the people who lived here, which is probably the most fascinating thing about the whole historical society. Well, that's fantastic. Is your membership mostly there in the county or is it mostly in Iowa or is there a portion out of state? We've got members all over. Most of them are local, of course, Sean, but we've got people that have connections to Iowa Falls that, like a lot of Iowans, they've gone elsewhere for employment or because of the weather or because they've retired and they like to have a connection to the town. So some of those people remain members. Good for them. That's great. Yeah. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your background? So I understand that you were the president of the society and, you know, recently there's been an election and you're now the marketing and communications director. How did you get to this point? Well, like most people, I retired and I had a long successful job. I retired and I was looking for a hobby and I was interested in history and so forth. And I was approached by some members of the board of directors who are always looking for more directors and people that are interested. And it sounded like an interesting organization to me. And I like the people that talk to me who are on the board. I'm a lifelong resident of Iowa Falls. I was born and raised in Iowa Falls and graduated from Iowa Falls High School. And I was away for a short period of time before I came back with my career. I'm a graduate of Iowa State University. So I just had an interest in history and that's kind of how I got involved. I've been, as you mentioned, I've been president, vice president and a board member. And now I'm currently the what they call the marketing director, which is to do things like I'm doing today. Yep. And we're so happy to have you here. Now, you have a master's degree in agricultural education, and I don't really understand what that is. Can you tell the audience what that is? Originally, that was to teach vocational agriculture in high schools. And so I did that for a short time after I graduated. Nowadays, the vocational agriculture teacher is sometimes the agricultural science teacher, and they teach not only farming, but they teach a lot of agribusiness skills and communication skills and all sorts of more modern things in the agriculture industry. In addition to agriculture education, I also had training in, in uh, media technology instruction, which may, helps me today still. So for the historical society, you have a number of different facilities. Can you tell us something about those and then what's coming up on the horizon? What are your goals for 2022 and maybe 2023 if you have them? As I mentioned, we have the Mills Tower, 
Let's talk about that just a little bit. The Mills Tower was originally used to control train traffic through the town. It was built about 1909 and operated for 84 years until 1993, where it became technologically obsolete. It was kind of allowed to go into disrepair, and it probably would have been torn down by the railroad. But the Historical Society took on the mission to save that building. We had a uh, $200,000 Department of Transportation grant that was used to acquire and repair that building and the Illinois Central Depot, which is in the same vicinity, but a little to the west. And those two properties were renovated. The Mills Tower, we have a web camera there, which looks down at the intersection of two railroads, the Union Pacific and the Canadian National. And we monitor those. Do trains actually come through there? Yes. People can see it on the webcam? That's right. You can watch uh, live train traffic on our channel 24 hours a day. It's on YouTube and you can get on YouTube and watch this live or you can go back and look at any of the previous 12 hours to see what happened. Oh, that's very cool. And these two railroads go through there. And we are part of the Steel Highway Rail Cams channel on YouTube. Okay. And they have about 13 channels of which we are one, and they're constantly expanding. And it's really unique for rail fans. But what's special for us is it allows us to get a lot of attention for the for the historic Mills Tower and Iowa Falls. It helps us to, to get interest in, in donations and so forth to keep the tower going. We also have a caboose there, which we maintain. It's, it's a, equipped like a museum there. And then as far as the Illinois Central Depot is, that museum has a model train in there. It, it has literally hundreds of relics of artifacts of the railroad era. Nice. And we've got various publications and records in there, print records. And it's been totally remodeled with modern restrooms and, and furnace and air conditioning. And it's got internet and a large screen TV so that we can use it as a teaching facility as well. Oh, nice. We couldn't have done it without the original grant and a lot of volunteer help, Sean. Yeah, people are great. That goes back to the 90s when we acquired these and began remodeling work on them. You do any YouTube videos of the inside of these facilities? Yes, we've got YouTube videos of both of these. Nice. We also have in the Carnegie Ellsworth Museum in Iowa Falls, which used to be the old library, we have the lower floor, the basement floor, which is ours for a museum. And the Carnegie Museum was originally the library, and it was built around 1910 from donations by Andrew Carnegie, of course, and a local businessman, E.S. Ellsworth. And that's how the building was originally built. And in the basement that we have, we've got displays for various turn-of-the-century lifestyles, I guess you would say. And we've got, you know, we've got a, a sample school down there, and we've got a sample movie theater, sample doctor's office, a sample music area, a sample dentist's office, and lots of relics in a small library down there. Very nice. That's sort of like street scenes down there? Sort of like that, only like the school example would be like a, a, a miniature classroom set up. 
That's nice. Do children come there and tour? Yes, we have tours, guided tours through there. Nice. One of the newer displays we've got there is a World War II museum. We've got various uniforms. We have a machine gun that was recently donated to us, a Japanese machine gun, and other things that were donated to us by uh, Mr. Chuck Taylor, who is a local resident of Iowa Falls, gave us a generous donation. And that's our newest section of the museum. It's going to be interactive as well. So when people look at the exhibits, they can also punch into a little computer or display that we're going to have there and call up a story of one of our local veterans that we have on YouTube to hear the story behind some of these things. Where do you display the Frank Foster photographs? The Frank Foster photographs are in our headquarters in the Dow House. The Dow House was acquired in 1999. It's a vintage piece of property that's maintained as a turn-of-the-century residence and museum. And we've got many interesting artifacts there, antiques, old clothing, and those displays are rotated quite frequently. That is neat. Paul, you've mentioned and you gave us a lot of information about the facilities, and they sound really great. I mean, top-notch. So what are your 2022 goals for the Historical Society? One goal that we're working on right now is we're repairing the Dow House. As you might guess, a vintage house like that requires a lot of maintenance, and that's one thing we're working on right now. We also have what we call the Olin Soule Memorial on the east side of town, which is an outdoor memorial. There's a large sycamore tree there, and we recently put a brand new iron fence around that and landscaped it, and so we're working on bringing that memorial up to date. It's a memorial to a, a longtime railroad employee at the turn of the century of the Rock Island Railroad in the very beginning. So one of your goals is to finish that restoration or finish the restoration on the Dow House or both? On both. That's, that's a goal. And our other goal that we're working on, of course, is with the World War II Museum. And we have a local man by the name of Mike Ingebrigtsen, who has been very valuable to us in, re in renovating these things. He has really taken the bull by the horns and done a lot with that. The other, other thing we might like to do is have more webcams around Iowa Falls. I think webcams are the wave of the future. Yeah. And we have such beautiful scenery around town. If we could have more webcams to show off our community, that would really be something. Webcams themselves are not very expensive. But you have to have, you know, a computer and you have to have access to Internet to make them work. Yeah. So those are some of our goals, along with keeping the Dow House in good condition. Fantastic. Hey, I'm sorry to interrupt, Paul, but it's time for our first break for a few minutes. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these wonderful words. Happy Fourth of July, Independence Day. God bless America.
introducing a totally exceptional experience at the Iowa Falls Historical Society located at 519 Stephen Street in Iowa Falls. Iowa Falls is known as the scenic city for good reason. It's beautiful. Visit the Society's Museum, the Dow House, the Illinois Central Depot, and the Mills Tower Complex, which includes an Illinois Central caboose. Each of these facilities has interactive exhibits and informative films to take you on an amazing journey into the history of Iowa Falls. Discover a world where the railways, farming, and changing technology will fascinate you as the past comes to life. The Iowa Falls Historical Society, where their legacy is yours. Call 641-648-4603 for details, admissions, and hours. You'll be glad you did. This is Emily Faves, Executive Director of the Beltrami County Historical Society in Bemidji, Minnesota, and I love listening to Sean Thomas Radcliffe on MicroStream Radio. Grove's emulsified nose drops will surprise you with the way they look and act. These nose drops are white and creamy. They don't look, taste, or smell like medicine, yet they are highly effective. That's because they are medically superior, because they stay up in the nose. Any child can understand that nose drops that stay up in the nose will do more good than nose drops that run right out. Impress this fact upon mother, and she will undoubtedly let you try these new type nose drops when you have a head cold or stuffed head. All drugstores sell Grove's emulsified nose drops, and they're really more economical than the old-fashioned kind because you get more for your money and because you can use less. Ask mother to get a bottle today. Thank you for listening to Preservation Ops. If you're a member of a museum, historical or genealogical society that has not yet been featured as a guest on our program, please let them know to contact preservationoaks at gmail.com. We welcome all inquiries. Thank you. Sometimes the most commonplace artifact triggers the most heartfelt memories. The museums, cultural and heritage institutions, Historical and genealogical societies within our communities have responsibility for preserving these artifacts so they can be used to educate each new generation about their own past. They are the gatherers and caretakers of the stories of our history, culture, and heritage. Sharing the lessons of history fosters an understanding of the fundamental knowledge of why things work the way they do. Once armed with a knowledge of their place in history, people have a much higher success rate as they build the future. Our values and ideals are rightly influenced by those who came before us. On each episode of Preservation Oaks, our guests share key information about these core organizations and history. You'll learn about the great work they do, what their needs are, their goals, and why you can feel really confident about the future by volunteering and supporting them. Join us wherever you get your podcasts, and then follow, comment, like, and listen. Hello, this is Amuli Okudili. My family and I listen to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. We love Sean Thomas Radcliffe's interesting guests and learning more about our new country, America. Please support your local museum, genealogical or historical society. God bless America. If you're a historical or genealogical society listening to Preservation Oaks, and you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email preservationoaks at gmail.com. Listeners, thank you for listening. You can comment anytime about the show or send suggestions by emailing preservationoaks at gmail.com. And now, back to Preservation Oaks.
Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Paul Hackbarth from the Iowa Falls Historical Society located in Iowa Falls, Iowa. Paul, let's pick up where we left off, and by the way, welcome back. Thank you, and I am enjoying being here. Hey, Paul, you've been a member of and a leader of the Historical Society for some time. Can you tell us a couple of funny or interesting stories from the annals of your history? Just a couple quick anecdotes that are a little humorous. They both relate to finances. In 2019, we had a painting restored, and it's a painting that was given to the town of Iowa Falls in 1907 by E.S. Ellsworth, who was a very prominent businessman at the time, and it's a painting that he bought while in Europe. It's called Romsdal Fjord. It's been appraised at around $5,000, and we had that restored at the Midwest Art Conservatory in Minneapolis. Quite a process, and we've actually got quite a bit more money invested in that painting than it's worth, and that is a little bit humorous, but the painting is priceless to the town of Iowa Falls, and it really looks beautiful now. But if we were to sell it, we would never get our money back out of it. Another kind of interesting or little humorous anecdote relates to another project of ours, and that is we put up a memorial at the old Ellsworth Hospital grounds. About 10 years ago, the community built a new hospital, and our old hospital, which we had had for nigh on 100 years, was removed. There's now an apartment complex there called Ellsworth Estates, which are for sale, by the way, some of those apartments. And the hospital, though, is no longer there. And we put up a memorial there to the original old hospital as it was first built in 1902. And the memorial that we put up cost the same thing as the hospital did itself back in 1902. I, that was kind of humorous, but that's how much prices have gone up. That is humorous. Oh my gosh. Wow. Thank you for those. I see that the Historical Society has a YouTube channel called Voices of Iowa Falls. And I'm just thrilled with this channel, by the way, because, you know, it appears what you're doing is going out to the community and talking with people, just regular people about their history, about the history of Iowa Falls and making YouTube videos. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, that project began in the late 1990s. It was at a time when some of the members of the greatest generation were getting up in years, and some of them who had kept military stories to themselves suddenly decided they might like to share these stories. And it's difficult to get people to talk about some of these stories, but the people in the historical society at the time wanted to do this, and there was a movement to do this, and some of these World War II veterans began to talk. And they wanted to share these stories. So at the time, they were recorded on a digital videotape with a camcorder, which was kind of a technology at that time. And they were recorded and put onto a computer, these interviews. And then they were burned onto DVDs and given out to various people in the community. And they were preserved that way. And these stories, Sean, are just priceless. And the, the town of Iowa Falls has stories and interviews that we would put up against anyone's as far as their value. We have people who were POWs. We have people who received the Purple Heart. We have people who were African-American. We have people who suffered a great deal for our country. And these people are all gone now. But because the people in the society at the time who had the wherewithal to record these people, they record these interviews, The interviews had to be converted and put on YouTube, which 
came about after that time. And this media technology is always changing. So it's kind of a constant process of trying to update what you have so you don't lose it. But now that we've got those stories on YouTube, basically anybody in the world can see those interviews. And that was how Voices of Iowa Falls got started. And now we have different playlists on there where we have stories about the community and stories about people that have lived in the community and different things from the community are on there now. A lot of different videos are on there now. Some of the interviews on there are virtual interviews. We put together interviews with somebody who lived 100 years ago. We've used technology now to to kind of simulate an interview with them. Our most priceless things on there are our interviews because they tell the stories of people. I like to think that's what our historical society is about. It's about the stories of the people who lived here. I have heard that a large percentage of all the films that, that were ever made before the 1920s are now gone, the major percentage of those. And my advice, my advice to anyone would be who would like to preserve stories or interviews is use the technology that you have right now, get the interview recorded somehow, and then worry about updating it later. Don't say, well, we'll wait till the technology gets better because you, you got to save that story with the technology you have. And then you can always, it may be time consuming, but you can always convert it later. But the main thing is to get that story preserved. And nowadays you can interview people with a telephone. It's much easier to do interviews now and preserve these stories than it was in the 1990s. But it, it's difficult sometimes to get people to open up to know who you should interview and who is willing to, to be interviewed. Do you have a group of volunteers that go out and do this on a regular basis? Not on a regular basis. It's just kind of people like me that, you know, determine that somebody should be recorded and then trying to get them to open up and tell their story. We have one gentleman, a very locally famous hero for us, and that's Marlon Humphrey, Okay, who was a longtime fire chief. And he recently passed away just a couple of days ago. And we have an interview with him, and it's just absolutely priceless. And I'm glad that we preserved it, and it's on YouTube, and it can be watched today. Well, I saw another one on there, too, from a Tuskegee Airman uh, named Joseph Gomer. I thought that one was priceless as well. Joe Gomer was a graduate of Iowa Falls High School and Ellsworth College. He was an African-American. He became a Tuskegee Airman. He began air flight training at Ellsworth College, which is the local community college here in Iowa Falls. And at the time, he began training as a pilot in the pre-World War II era, in the era leading up to that. He had never even driven a car before, and, <laughs> and he was training to fly a plane. Wow. And he became a Tuskegee Airman just through intelligence and perseverance. We have him preserved on an interview. He is also preserved on another interview in the what is known as the Grout Museum District on YouTube. They have a channel on YouTube, and he's preserved in, in a historic interview there as well. And he passed away in 2013. There are no Tuskegee Airmen left that I'm aware of. They helped win World War II, those guys. They were taught that they could be successful, and they succeeded. Now, you mentioned the facilities that you have, some of the exhibits, what kinds of exhibits are on display. You mentioned that the exhibits rotate. The facilities are the Dow House, the Carnegie Ellsworth Library Building, the Mills Tower Complex, and the Depot. And I wanted to ask if you have any collections exhibited anywhere else, like the the local airport or something like that. Most of our exhibits are in our own facilities. That's where our extensive photograph collection and so forth is located. 
We do on occasion, though, share displays with the Barlow Library. If we have a photographic display or something that we think is should be shown elsewhere, once in a while we'll, we'll share with the library or some other local location. Do you have any exhibits at the local schools? We put on programs for the local schools, and we don't have exhibits there as such, although our publications, our books that we have published, we usually donate a copy of our books to each school and Ellsworth College and the local library. We often bring the kids out for tours and field trips to our facilities, so it's not necessary to take the facilities to them as it is to bring them to the facilities. They have what's known as a Volks March in the spring near the end of the school year where the kids come out when the weather's good and they walk around town and go to the various historical sites of which oh, our cool. buildings are some of those. Oh, that's very cool. And do you guys help lead those? The teachers bring the students out and then we conduct the tour itself. That is very important. How many artifacts would you say the society has? Oh man, hundreds of thousands from everything, Sean, from salt shakers to shaving mugs of famous individuals to autograph photographs of famous individuals like Rudolph Valentino to uh, antiques, just literally thousands. Wow. We try to catalog them all on the computer so that we know what we have, you know, and we have a lot of print materials and, and photographs, of course. People want to give you everything, and mm -hmm. we can't take everything, but we try to take everything if it doesn't take a lot of space. You mentioned that you keep your artifacts or you're trying to keep your artifacts in a database. Do you have a curator for the society? Yes, we do. Every single facility has its own curator. We have a curator for the Dow House and a curator for the railroad properties and a curator for our museum in the Carnegie building. So every building has its own curator. Sometimes we have a couple of people that kind of work together as curators. That's nice. That's very good. Every building has modern air conditioning and furnace to help control the atmosphere. And well, that was going to be my next question. That's great. That's great. A lot of societies don't have that luxury. And so it's wonderful that you do. Given everything that you guys do, and it's wonderful, all of the things that you do and the, and the exhibits and the facilities, what kind of funding model supports the society? What are your funding goals? Originally, as I mentioned, we had the we had the grant, the DOT grant, to buy the Mills Tower and the Illinois Central Depot. We've had a number of generous donations over the years. We've had a lot of people in Iowa Falls who have an interest in history. They've been successful in business, and they just felt like they wanted to give something back to the community. Most of the donations we've gotten, we have, have invested as an endowment. So we don't really use that money, but the income off those investments we use to pay things like utilities, maintenance, and upkeep. Very smart. Which can be considerable. In tough economic times when our investments are earning a little lower rate, we rely more on fundraisers. And uh, that's kind of how we operate. The community has, has been exceptionally good to us. Oh, thank goodness. The more things we do for the community, the more donations and so forth we get, the better our fundraisers go, and the more we can do. What type of fundraising activities does your society offer? Well, for example, when we put in our Mills Tower webcam, we had a pork loin barbecue, which was well attended, which brought in considerable funds. And at the same time, we used GoFundMe on uh, oh, Facebook nice. along with that to bring in a few extra donations. And a project like that is kind of what we do.
like I said, people are people are wonderful, Sean. If they know you're doing something, they're more than happy to donate and pitch in. I've I've found it. It's it's mostly a matter of showing people that you're out there doing good things and your your intentions are good. Yeah. If your intentions are good, that's the biggest biggest advertising of all that you can get. Best advertising of all. Absolutely. Does your society publish a newsletter? We put out an annual newsletter once a year, just before our annual meeting, which discusses our activities, and it goes to all the members. And we also put out a calendar once a year, which is available for sale in the community. And that kind of, you know, gets the story of history out there and keeps people interested, keeps our name in front of the public. Yeah, that's the main thing, making sure that you can keep the community informed about the progress of the society. Iowa Falls is a, is a small community of 5,000 people. It's a close-knit community like most communities this size, and everybody knows everybody. Everybody kind of has some type of connection to Iowa Falls in their parents or grandparents. It's a type of community. It's easy to sell a good idea. You sound like you got wonderful support. Just for an example, Sean, our webcam at the Mills Tower has 2,600 subscribers, and subscribing is free, and that's from people all over the world that have an interest in railroading. We get comments from people in England, Japan, Europe, where the railroads are bigger that find it on YouTube and look at it. We've got something like 1,525 subscribers to our Facebook page. And we're, we're always very good about if anybody sends us a message on there, we're, we've got a 100% response rate. We always get right back to them and show, them, show these people that we care and then we're inter interested in what they're telling us and what they ask us. We've got subscribers to our YouTube channel and so forth. So there's a lot of interest in it. Yeah, you guys are really putting it out there. I noticed a whole list, or I saw on the interwebs, a whole list of annual events for Iowa Falls. And I was going to ask you if the society's involved in those as well. We're involved in the Riverbend Rally. That's one thing that we're usually doing around, you know, in the summer months. The Riverbend Rally here in Iowa Falls, we, that's when we put on our big time for us to put on our tours and promote our books and so forth. There's a community theater in the area. Some societies do mystery theaters or something like that for the community. We have discussed that once our Dow House is remodeled, we've discussed maybe putting on a little play in the Dow House. People dressed in, in turn-of-the-century costumes and so forth and use that as kind of an open house. So we have discussed that idea. We have shown some of our DVDs in the Metropolitan Opera House or the Met Theater here in town over the years. We've done that. That's kind of the extent. We've also, by the way, we've also had a cemetery tour. I know this isn't a real original idea, but we've had people dress up in vintage clothes and portray various actors from various people from throughout our history and have them by their grave in the cemetery and then had people and then conducted tours through there and let these people explain their life story. Oh, that is great. That is great community. Involved. It's called, called like a cemetery walk tour. We've done that several times over the years. Do you guys have a strategy for digitization of documents and photos? I'm kind of the strategy myself right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I tell people if they have something that like a photograph or a document that they want to show me, but they don't want to share it to the general public for whatever reason, then I don't want to know about it. I tell people if they share something with me, I'm going to share it and get it on YouTube or Facebook where people can see it and learn from it. Right. So I tell people that, that if you've got something that you want to share and you genuinely want to share it, 
we'll take it. And we digitize just about any, anything we're given and try to get it on our Facebook page. Very cool. I know I, I loved going through your Facebook page. It's just great. It has so many just wonderful historical moments in time. Maintaining the Facebook page, maintaining your facilities, trying to digitize things, you know, all of the things that you do and you have in play in, in any given year takes volunteers. What kind of volunteer opportunities does the society have for members and the public? Well, first of all, you try to find somebody that loves doing a certain thing. Like me, I enjoy working with photographs. So maintaining a Facebook page or a YouTube page is, is, is enjoyable for me. I enjoy doing it. So when it comes time to picking someone to volunteer for the Mills Tower, for example, or to be the curator there, mm -hmm. you look for somebody who enjoys railroading. You try to find somebody who's a real, a real railroad nut. You try to find somebody like that. And they just, it's like having their own model railroad. They'll love doing it and they'll, and they'll maintain it. It's the same with maintaining the Dow House or a museum. You try to find somebody who has a dream of being a curator, who likes working with artifacts or antiques or clothing, and you turn those people loose. You let them do what they do best and what they want to do. And that's, that's the only way to do it. You've got to find somebody who loves that particular job right. and let them do it. You know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you would say that if anybody comes to volunteer, you're going to look for something that they would enjoy doing and you've pretty much got something for everybody? I would say that's true. If, if you've got a curator who's getting up there in years and it's a little hard for them to do some of the physical activities at that center, you kind of kind of get a young person involved in that and kind of get them trained how to do it so that someday they'll maybe want to carry it on. We want things to carry on after we're gone. We haven't discussed it, whether you guys do genealogical research or, you know, any of that for members, or do you send them to other societies based upon their need? As far as genealogical activities, we do do some of that. And, and a lot of it is when people message our Facebook page and say, do you know something about so-and-so who was my great great grandfather do you know where his farm was um, what can you tell me about him and i am pretty am pretty good at research and i will do some genealogical research and find out who their ancestors were and go as far back as i can and i'll tell them you know to the best of my knowledge what i can find out about where the farm was where the house was because things change quite a bit over time right but we definitely do that and i've been asked quite a few genealogical questions over the years and, and I always research and I always get back to them. In the town though, of Iowa Falls or in the county, is there a formal genealogical society? There may be, but not that I'm aware of. Well, that's that's awful good of you to, to do the work and, and then get back to everybody when they've got that kind of question. It's kind of interesting, Sean, because when you research these people, you almost you almost feel like you know them. When you go back and study the story behind someone, you you just feel like I know that person's personality and it and it just makes you want to explore further and find out what they're all about. Yeah. Yeah. Genealogy is a wonderful pastime. What kinds of interesting books has your society published? We have several books that we've put out. We've kind of found out in this day and age you can do a, a lot of your own publishing over the internet and so forth. Publishing is changing a great deal because of the internet. Our Facebook page is a lot like Kindle 
went away because people get on there and they can look at whatever they want and they can research through it. We had some requests to put some of the things off our Facebook page in a printed version. So what I did and what we decided to do about it, it's been about a year ago now, we put together a book called River of Time and it's a coffee table style book. It's got 159 pages. It's a full color hardcover book and it's got, it's an anthology of our page. In other words, our page has about 4,000 pictures on it. Okay. And this book has taken a sample of the best pictures and stories from that. And it's gone into book form. And then we sold that to the public. We sold it direct from the printer, mailed directly to people in the form of a photo book. And we found out that was kind of a, a good way to get a quality book. Sort of print on and, demand, right? That's right. And yeah. we ordered some ourselves. We ordered about 35 copies here locally and distribute them here locally. And about half of our books that we do sell are sold locally, and, and the other half have been sold mail order to people around the country. And one thing about publishing, if you want a quality book, it's going to cost something nowadays. We yeah. don't get much printing done for much under $100 if you want something pretty nice. Yeah. And so it's, it's expensive, but if it's good quality, people will buy it. And we've had good luck with the River of Time book. You have photographs from your Facebook page, and you've selected or curated the best of those. Have you written, or has a historian written something about the photograph for each one in the book? There is history in the book written in the book as well. Okay. It's not meant to be a complete history of the town of Iowa Falls. It's more an anthology of what's on our page okay. and explains what's on our page. And it's a it's a beautiful book. We've had had very good reception for this book. How can someone purchase the book River of Time? The best way is to contact the Historical Society. You can message on our Facebook page, or if you're in town, you can buy a copy locally. It's available at Chamber Main Street at 520 Roxylvania, which is our Chamber of Commerce office. There are copies of it available at the library for sale. Or like I said, if you contact our Facebook page, we can get your name and address, email, whatever, and we can ship it directly to your door. We've shipped them all over the U.S., Idaho, Ohio, Texas, anybody who wants one. And it usually only takes about 10 days from printer to their front door. Now, do they pay for it through PayPal or through a credit card or through a check? We're not set up to take credit cards. And believe it or not, we've sold these books by just taking personal checks from people. And it's worked out great. Oh, great. Okay. That's how we've done it. It's, it's worked out good for us. And we've, like I said, we've had good sales on that book. Another couple of books that we sell were written by a man named Ira Nichols, who is a famous newspaper publisher, local newspaper publisher in our town. He was born at the end of the Civil War, and he lived to be 95. He lived all the way to, to the Vietnam War, 1964. And because he was a, a newspaper man, he was a graduate of what was Iowa State College at the time. He had been a state legislator, and he, he's, his mind stayed sharp right up until the very end of his life. And he had so much experience and knowledge of, of events that happened locally that he wrote two books. One was called Pioneer Days of Iowa Falls, and the second one was called History of Iowa Falls. Nice. And Pioneer Days went from 1850 to 1900, 
And then history of Iowa Falls went from 1900 to 1950. And he wrote these at the end of the Second World War. And we sell both of those in paperback form. Additionally, we also sell a, another book called Musical Lights, which is the pictorial story of the Musical Lights program that was put on by our local schools through the 1960s. Very cool. And one other book that we sell is we do sell a plat book for a Union Cemetery here in town, which is a map of all the graves and all the uh, people that are buried there, which is a wonderful historical reference. And that's put out by the Ladies Social Gathering or the Union Cemetery Board, and we sell that for them as well. You've got a lot going on for people that is very interesting. Just to remind the listeners, the Society is on Facebook. Just look for Iowa Falls Historical Society. 2022. And then their address is 519 Stevens Street, P.O. Box 364, Iowa Falls, Iowa 50126. And you can call them at 641-648-4603. That sounds good, John. Okay. Fantastic. Hey, Paul, it's time for us to take our second break for a few minutes. We'll be right back after these important messages. Preservation Oaks is working state by state in an effort to highlight the fantastic public-spirited work of museums, cultural, heritage, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. We want to make sure people know about the work being done and provide them with information that allows them to easily make the decision to donate, join, and volunteer with these truly noble societies. We began our program in September of 2021 and thus far, our journey has led us to highlight excellent organizations in Kansas, Iowa, Minnesota, and Hawaii. We're excited to tell everyone that we just began production in the great state of Alabama, so stay tuned for upcoming episodes from the heart of Dixie. It's gonna be fun and interesting. See you all on the next episode of Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. The Iowa Falls Historical Society, located at 519 Stevens Street in Iowa Falls. For over 30 years, the Society's mission has been dedicated to studying and preserving the history of Iowa Falls. The Society fosters an appreciation of the past, emphasizing local history. In addition to collecting and preserving historical artifacts, photographs, and personal stories, your historical society conducts research into local families and businesses. These are presented to the public through exhibits. The Historical Society also provides public accessible historic records. Learn more about your society on Facebook. Just look for the Iowa Falls Historical Society and join them in accomplishing the mission. Call 641-648-4603 for details, admissions, and hours. We'll see you there soon.
this grand country of ours, men and women live free. We have inalienable rights that come from our Creator and not the government. These are defined and enshrined in our Constitution and other founding documents. With all of our faults, our way of life and our principles of freedom and liberty are the very best that mankind has imagined and implemented on this planet. Look around the world and you'll see many countries whose people are subjugated, controlled by the state, or under oppressive regimes. Speech and access to information are filtered and people are put in jail for their religion and for merely sharing their ideas and opinions. All across the world, people live in fear of the powerful and the government. There has never been a country like the United States of America. We are united in freedom and we the people will fight and die to protect and defend our God-given rights. 
We do not exist for government. The government exists at the pleasure of the people, and the people can change it at any time. We do not live in fear, but rather as free men and women who can believe and express what they want. We are united in goodness. With few exceptions, all across the country I find that Americans are hardworking, smart, compassionate, good people. We are united in the certainty that our nation is one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. May the founding principles of our nation be taught to our children forever and remain alive in the hearts and minds of our people. Happy 246th birthday to the United States of America. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. We're here today with Mr. Paul Hackbarth from the Iowa Falls Historical Society located in Iowa Falls, Iowa. Paul, really, we've truly learned so much about the value of the Historical Society to the people of Iowa Falls and the great community support you have, which is making all the difference to the quality of life in Iowa Falls. Thank you so much for your time and providing so much great information about the Society. Welcome back. Thanks for those kind words, Sean. You're very welcome. Now, I wanted to ask you, and, and this is just me being curious. When I talk to societies, they will often say, you know, we had a person, they wrote these wonderful books about Iowa Falls or about my location, and the history goes till 1950. Does anybody work on from 1950 till 2022 in terms of the history? Is, is there any historian putting something like that together? We have long talked about putting out a book for the 50-year period from 1950 to 2000. And of course, the next book, it would be best to wait from 2000 to 2050, I guess, to wait another 50 years. That book, the, the 1950 to 2000 book has not been done. We know how to do it. It takes a lot of research and a yeah. lot of work to put it together, but we could do it. It's a huge task. You break it, in terms of research, you break it down by decade and by subject matter. Okay. And you get various people, various researchers assigned to each decade and each subject matter. And then they all get the research and it all comes in. Each group gets the research organized in such a way and gets it to the, to the writer. And then we write it and publish it. The problem you can have writing a current book like that is you want to write a good book that's historical, but you get a lot of people that will try to tell you, well, I would like this in the book, but I don't want this in the book. Somebody has to make those editorial decisions about what's going to be in the book and what's not. You don't want to write a kiss and tell book, right. but at the same time, you want to write a history. You don't want to write a fairy tale. You want to write about what really happened and who did what. And it's, it can be difficult when you've got a current book where you've got somebody's grandchildren are still in the community. Oh, right. You've got relatives and people that are all giving input and want to be considered and you want to be courteous to them. And so that's that's where the, the problem can come in writing a writing a current history like that. It's no small task, but it can be done. It, it's that there's a lot to consider when you're writing a, a current history. Paul, what's the easiest method for members of the public to donate to the society? Is it send a check? Is it 
call me. You know, I don't know what's easiest for you. Most people just give us a check. That's how most of it comes in. Nine times out of 10, they're in the community. They know somebody here and they just write a check. We have dues. Dues are $25 a year for a member or $50 for a family. A lot of people, when they pay their dues, they just give us a check for $100 or something, you know, a little bit extra. And it's just all in that check. But that's how most of our money comes in, is just people giving us a check. Now, we all know that things are changing, and you've brought it up a number of times. Technology is changing. Through the COVID years, you might have had to look at using Zoom more than you would have otherwise. You might have looked at doing virtual events or having volunteers working from home more than they would have. How is your society incorporating some of those changes so things go on in the local economy, businesses move out or businesses come in and, you know, there may be new uh, people moving into the community all the time that are not native to the United States or, you know, not native English speakers, that kind of thing. How do you incorporate those things into what your society is doing in the community? I just think a lot of it comes down to the good old golden rule. Treat other people the way you would like to be treated yourself. And when we put out a historical story or do historical research, we always try to include things about women or traditional minorities that have done something for our community. We try to remember those people and try to balance our stories a little bit because everybody's contributed to the the building of this country. You bet. That's what a lot of it comes down to right there is just trying to think a little bit. How would I like to be treated? Or if somebody's doing research on my family or so forth. Shouldn't I maybe be doing research on everybody's family, not just people that are like me? I think that's what a lot of it comes down to is just how do I want to be treated? And are you guys using Zoom for more virtual events? We've used it for some of our meetings during the pandemic, but our meetings are normally in person. We haven't had to use Zoom. We can get everybody there for our board meetings and so forth. Okay. But we did use it. We did use it during the pandemic. Do you use it for any kind of virtual educational events? We haven't. We might be in the future. It's still fairly new to me. I'm able to use Zoom, but it's still fairly new. And the good thing about Zoom is you can record the session while it's occurring, and they will offer you not only a transcript, but they'll offer you a video of the meeting. You mentioned that your society has a couple of current initiatives. One is to renovate the Dow House and get that buttoned up before winter, hopefully. You've got a World War II exhibit that you guys are working on. Are there any other current initiatives or needs of the society that you want people of your area to know about and support? We could use somebody to paint our caboose at the Mills Tower. (laughs) Our our caboose was uh, brought in from Illinois to the Mills Tower grounds in the early 2000s, and it was painted up with new decals and everything to really look sharp. Like anything else, over the course of about 15 15 years or so, you know, paint peels or decals come off or so forth. And so we'd like to like to get that updated. So listeners, um, if you're a painter, a contractor, a handyman, a handywoman, a club that has some expertise in and can wield uh, a paintbrush, then uh, please contact the society. The caboose needs painting. We like to keep our grounds looking sharp. There's always painting or upkeep or mowing or spraying that we're doing all the time to keep our grounds looking good. Cool. And volunteers do that? We get volunteers. Sometimes we have to hire the spraying done. 
spraying as in weed control. That's right. Weed control. You need to need to keep your grounds looking sharp. Yeah. Regarding the caboose, they don't make cabooses anymore, do they? I, you very, very seldom see them. I don't think there's a purpose for them much anymore. Yeah. They're a thing of the past. Yeah. So it's going to be real important to maintain that caboose and teach people that long time ago, somebody had to sit at the end of the train to do some kind of a job that kept the safety of the freight and the passengers paramount. They're from a bygone era. Yeah. Hey, Paul, what are your thoughts about how best to keep history and the community support flourishing for the current generation? Well, it's it's a big, big job, I think. It's especially in this day and age. I think you just have to kind of keep doing what we're doing. You need to give tours. You need to donate your books to the schools. These kids have a lot of competing interests nowadays. Some of the kids no longer really realize where they came from. They're just they're just kind of here. I don't want to load up a kid's mind with a lot of things that he'll never use that are outdated. But at the same time, I think it's good to realize where you came from, yeah. what your parents did, what your grandparents did, why, why you're here. You know, it's, it's something we all want. We all want to kind of know where we came from and why we're here, and that there's a purpose to everything. I think that we've answered the question, why is the society important to the community? unless you have anything else to offer on that topic. I just think that people value the historical society because they want to know that they're a part of something bigger than themselves that's been going on for a long time. You mentioned that joining the society, I think you said $25 a year is the dues? That's correct. Okay. What do I get for that? What What's the benefit of joining the society? For those dues... They're welcome to come to any of our meetings. They get the newsletter. The main thing about being a member is it it keeps you on the cutting edge of what's going on historically in the community, what projects we've got going on. It gives you a say in how the budget is handled, what money is spent on, gives you a chance to participate in activities, maybe become a curator, maybe run for the board of directors. You get to come to the annual meeting where we always have a program and a small meal and fellowship. There's just a lot of interesting things like that. Most of our activities, other than the dues, are are free. Okay, fantastic. I want to uh, remind listeners once again how to connect with the Society. They're on Facebook. Just look for Iowa Falls Historical Society 2022. And their physical address is 519 Stevens Street, P.O. Box 364, Iowa Falls, Iowa 50126. Or you can just call them at 641-648-4603. Now, is there any other information or message you'd like the community or society members to know about as part of this podcast? We'd just like to, say, we'd just like to thank our community and thank everybody for listening. And thank Sean for the wonderful research he's done and giving us the opportunity to be on this program. And Iowa Falls really appreciates it. We can use all the publicity we can get. So that's that's the main thing I want to do is just to thank everybody for listening and, and putting up with me if I, if I talked on too much. Not at all. Thank you so much for being here. I just want to express that it's been a pleasure to talk with Paul and to get his perspective. And I think you can see that there's 
just total value in this historical society and the work that they're trying to do in the community. So please support them. Reflecting just a bit, how do you think your members, volunteers, and the community view the society in terms of benefits and value? I, I think the people in our community value it as a connection to the past. And when certain events happen or certain individuals pass away, I think that's when some of our stories become more poignant, where they become more timely and people can say, I get it. Now I understand that person from 50 years ago. I understand them better now because what's happening to me today. And that's when that story means more to them. And that's when they can kind of tie it all together. And maybe they can get some, some understanding from what that, how that person solved their problem 50 years ago and how they need to solve their problem now. Yeah. Very good point. Thank you so much, Paul, for spending time with us today. I know listeners have learned a lot and I've learned a lot about Iowa Falls and the Iowa Falls Historical Society. I've had a great time and I'm really glad to meet you. Thanks for the opportunity, Sean. You're very welcome. I really love your Facebook page, everything it contains. I really love your YouTube channel. That's very inspirational, listening to those folks on there with their great information. Just a wealth of historical information. You come back anytime, okay? Thank you, Sean. And with that, listeners, we'll end our time with our guest, Mr. Paul Hackbarth, the outgoing president and now marketing and communications director of the Iowa Falls Historical Society. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap-up, which is coming up next. You're listening to Preservation Oaks, where we celebrate the great work of genealogical and historical societies and give you the information you need to get involved and have fun doing it. All right, welcome back everybody. Iowa Falls is so lucky to have their historical society and also to have a person like Paul Hackbarth working diligently for the community to preserve and share the history of the town. You all have such a rich history and a beautiful town. As Paul and I chatted, the information discussed was so interesting and it was very apparent how knowledgeable Paul is about the history of the town and how much he loves the community and helping others understand their history by telling the stories of the people who lived in Iowa Falls. The most pressing priorities of the Iowa Falls Historical Society at this time are the repair of the Dow House, the Olen Sule Memorial, and bringing it up to date, the Mills Tower caboose needs to be painted. The World War II exhibit in the Carnegie Ellsworth Museum needs to be finished. Volunteers are always needed to help keep the grounds landscaped. And Paul mentioned they would like to see more webcams positioned around Iowa Falls. During this American Independence Day episode, we learned how the town of Iowa Falls is really representative of American freedom, community engagement, and where the community really understands the value of acquiring, preserving, and passing on history to future generations so that they have 
the opportunity to form a continuity of values and ideals similar to their ancestors. This will allow the people of Iowa Falls to maintain their quality of life in this great country and, when necessary, utilize historical information to solve modern-day problems. Here's a quote from Paul. People of Iowa Falls support our society because they want to know that they're a part of something bigger than themselves that's been going on for a long time. And another quote. I think the people in our community value the historical society as a connection to the past and when certain events happen or when certain individuals pass away, I think that's when some of our stories become more poignant, where they become more timely and people can say, I get it. Now I understand that person from 50 years ago. I understand them better now because of what's happened to me today. And that's when that story means more to them. And that's when they can tie it all together. And maybe they can get some understanding from how that person solved their problem 50 years ago and how they need to solve that problem now. Paul also thanked the community and society members for their continued support. The society is supported 100% by donations and volunteers. Please help support the Iowa Falls Historical Society today. Paul reviewed for listeners the funding and fundraising particulars of the society. So you all now know where the funds come from and what they're being used for and what the society's priorities are. Knowing this, it should be easy for you to make a decision to support, donate, and volunteer with the Iowa Falls Historical Society. Please support the Society with your generous donations and also please visit and volunteer at the Society to help accomplish the highest priority items. There were a thousand questions I could have asked during our time together, but I didn't in the interest of time. If questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the Society via the contact information provided in the program. If you're a listener in the area the Society serves, or if you're a listener researching ancestors in the community the Society serves, and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting the Society. You can connect with the Society. They have a Facebook page. Just look for Iowa Falls Historical Society 2022. Their address is 519 Stevens Street, P.O. Box 364, Iowa Falls, Iowa 50126. You can also call them at 641-648-4603. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the society is to the community and what kinds of excellent services they have to offer to their members and the public. The Iowa Falls Historical Society is truly one of our nation's preservation oaks. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Happy 4th of July, everyone. Music used today is from Scott Holmes, Aaron Kenny, The Stars and Stripes Forever, The Battle Hymn of the Republic, and Symbol Bird. Microstream Radio is a registered trademark. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by Microstream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of Microstream Radio. Thanks to everyone for listening. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. See you all next time on Preservation Oaks.